Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Glass Cannon Network, the premier source for role-playing game entertainment. Welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Network. Welcome back to Cannon Fodder. It is Wednesday, January 31st, 2024. And I'm your old pal, Joe O'Brien. And I'm Troy, back in the stewed La Valley. Back in the stewed, dude. We're back. Back, back in the, the fucking stewed group. <laughs> it's a stewed group. It's a stewed group. We're back in the stewed group. I mean, hot, hot opinions off the presses of us being in the studio. People loved it. And now we're going to do it every single day. <laughs> Every day, uh, live from the studio. Uh, no, we actually wish we could. Yeah, I know. And this two in a row is kind of a bad idea because it Real was tease. like we don't want to set up that that tease for you all. But we are. Uh, we had some business. We happened to have some business in town in studio that we had to do today as titans uh, of industry. As titans of industry, it actually wasn't a gatewalker situation. Yeah. It was uh, something else. But we had to knock it out, and we were like, "Hey, let's do fun from the studio again." So it'll be great. Uh, sad part is, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll spoil it right off the top. No other guests. It's, it's just us. It's all empty. In you're, you're stuck with us. It's, it's all empty in here. But, uh, on the upside, uh, Francis doesn't have to do any camera switching. What is he even doing back there? What are you doing back there, Francis? You eating a, uh, a bagel? What? <laughs> <laughs> I think we woke him up. What's up, everybody? Hey. Welcome back to the FOD. I'm here with your good buddy, Troy, and we are going to knock out some news. Pow, uh, we right are going news. to talk a little bit about the GC epi- GCP episode, and not much. A little bit. Uh, and I'll explain why uh, as we get there. And we're going to go a little heavy on listener mail this week. Let's, yes. let's get a few more questions yes. in from the Nash. Uh, all right. Top it off with the news. A reminder, we mentioned this last week when Skid was in studio. Unfortunately, he's not here now, but we are doing a live show off a book, off the beaten path, off the normal PF2E, John. Uh, We are going to be playing an Everyday Heroes Rambo game at a comedy club in New York City on Friday, February 9th, in two weeks. And Troy is totally ready to run it. Ready to, I could run it right now. could run it right now. (laughs) No, I'm, uh, this is happening. That's what we'll say about that. It's, it's Uh, happening. (laughs) 
maybe, maybe it's happening. No, we're, uh, we're going to be live in New York. Uh, I mentioned last week on the FOD, as it is right now, it is our only planned live show in New York. And yet it is unlike any live show that we've done. We've got two people who we've never met. Uh, the comedians, Khalees Hawkins and Natalie Cuomo, they're going to be playing with Skid Joe and myself. I mean, I've been to stand up New York. It's a tiny little club. It's like a hundred seats in there. I know a lot of people are like, Oh, you've got to release it afterwards on YouTube. Like this is, we are mercenaries. We are hired guns for this. Yeah. They've okay. brought us in to, uh, to brought Troy in to host the show. Mm-hmm. And Troy was like, I'm not coming in without my buddy, Joe O'Brien. And they were like, shit <laughs> all right i guess we'll hire him and so yeah Hold we're going bluff. in as we're just going in as guests you know yeah. what as we're going in as what we are which is just kind of pounding the pavement comedians in new york city right just trying to make our way onto comedy central <laughs> yep i've been working on my half hour special uh we'll see we'll see how it goes no it should be a really fun and interesting and completely different experience and for the nation if you're in the new york area and can get in here friday february 9th 8 p.m show I mean, that's going to be a really intimate hang. It's a very yes. small room. We're just going to be sitting in that stage chilling and making up a Rambo movie on the fly with lots of laughs. Let me ask you, are you getting a hotel in the city? Should we do that so that we can? Because all I want to do is hang out after the show. And I don't want to, I can't do too much and then drive an hour. Maybe we should just get a little Upper West Side hotel On sitch? the comp? On the comp? Little hotel on the comp? I don't know, man. That sounds pretty good. Maybe an Airbnb? It would be irresponsible of the company to allow us to drive home after that. You're not wrong. I think we've just decided. And they'll have to pay for overnight parking as well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Put it in the budget. All right. So that is uh, very exciting. We also have another live show this week that's coming to a close. And that would be Deadlands on Glass Cannon Labs. We're wrapping up Deadlands. I can't believe it has absolutely flown by. Uh, Troy, you are four eps in. You've seen, Mm. you're you're caught up. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are your thoughts on the story so far? Oh, my God. So many thoughts. I I can't even express them. Because there's so many, there's so many emotions. I would have just, just it's, it's been a real tour de force. That's all I'll say. I'll tell you what, Jared really leans into the weird of the weird West, and uh, <laughs> it has made for a really fantastic game. And I and I used I choose that word carefully. Uh, there was so much incredibly fun, like magical, technological stuff. There's an airship. I, I don't want airship. to spoil it, but there's a there's an airship. Oh, dude. My so world fun. that I'm building has airships. It's a Mormon airship. I'm going to spoil it. It's a, a Mormon, Mormon airship. It's a Mormon airship. Jared's a weird dude. He's I a like weird it. dude, but I mean, it makes for a good game. Yeah. It makes for a fun game. Uh, right now, no plans for uh, Glass Cannon Labs next week. So we'll, we'll be on a hiatus unless uh, something changes in the next couple hours. Yeah. Um, but we'll we, see. We could have something on deck, but we're not sure on that yet. So we will see. And we, will, of course, you all will be the first to know uh, if and when that comes in. And then obviously live on Twitch. You've been rocking Baldur's Gate every week. That is happening again today at noon nope. Eastern time. If you missed it, go back and check the VOD. And I will be live again on Friday. Dude. Dude. Prince of Persia. Dude. Rocks. Was it good? I know, it's phenomenal. And I know you're going to be like, I'm never going to play that. Yep. I think you'd love it. Okay. Do you like platformers at all? I don't know what that means. Uh <laughs> <laughs> this is like when we're trying to sell our podcast to like extended family members or friends of friends. And you're like, so it's a fantasy role-playing podcast. And they just say, I don't know what that means. Take it back. Uh, <laughs> you're like, what's right, a platform? I don't think you'll like it. Uh, a platformer is like Mario Brothers. So kind of, it's like side-scrolling, jumping, uh, you know, part of the game is not just fighting things, but also you know the skill required to jump from one thing to another, to ah. time jumps, walls. So it's kind of like the original Prince of Persia, which I played. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. It is It is a 2D side-scroller huh. classic, but it's got gorgeous three-dimensional depth to every level. And, and enemies will come in from, like, deep within, but then they come up to you, and then the fights are kind of Street Fighter-ish. Oh, that's cool. You know, in that, like, you actually, there are combatants where you are timing your blows and your... Um, you're, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sekiro, like you're uh, parrying. Like you no have to, shit. You have to time, you get parries, you get bonuses. And then the game has an entire added level of time manipulation through the special abilities that you get that make it so much fun. And it's not all just for combat. A lot of it's for puzzle solving and stuff. How do I get up there? It's like, all right, well, I got to jump here and then I freeze myself in time there. Oh, I love Then that. I move something over. Then I unfreeze that version of myself, which drops onto the thing that I, the new me put there. And then I can jump that extra 10 feet. It's really fun little puzzles like that. That's cool. You know, it makes me think of two things. One, I got, uh, we got Archer a uh, switch for his fifth birthday last year. And so he's I been- even know you had a switch. Yeah, I have a switch. And so he's just been piling up on the games because Christmas time, we're like, get him a game, get him a game, get him a game. But I don't want him to overwhelm because then he doesn't get to enjoy each game, but we got him uh, Super Mario Brothers Wonder for Christmas. Yeah, that yeah. game is great. Yeah, I just haven't played like an old school Nintendo game in a while. It's wonderful. So he's got a game going, and sometimes he'll go to sleep, and I'll just like pop on Dad's game. And of course, I've got to get every single thing, so it takes a lot longer. That's what I did with Prince of Persia. It's on everything, but I got it on Switch. Oh no, shit! Yeah, just because I was like, I want something I could, you know, that I could have mobile. Uh, if it's on everything, then uh, you know I'll get it on Switch, and it's it's been great. It's been awesome. The second thing I was thinking of is uh, a couple years ago, uh, I have the PS5 like membership thing or the PlayStation membership where they just give you free games if you want yeah. them. And so I was trying to find games that were like appropriate for Archer because I don't want him watching me play Elden Ring or anything like that. And they had Crash Bandicoot 4. And it was like... Uh, like graphics as good as PS5 graphics. Wow. It's like, all right, this is great. I'll do that. So we ended up playing it and beating it over like three months. And it is, it's a platformer, like what you're saying, yeah, where yeah. you've got a time jumps and you get these things that sometimes can slow down time or reverse so that you've got to fly on the ceiling. And like, it's fucking hard. There were some levels like I had to try like 50 times in order to get uh, the the timing down. Anyway, so it's really Crash Bandicoot Four is like sneaky, good, tricky game. That is that's good to know because yeah. I am I have not played a game like this in a really long time, and I'm having a blast. So I'm going to stream that again on Friday. So let let's hang out uh, and uh, and we'll we'll see how much further we can get. Speaking of your kids, so I have my kids watching me play this, right? And I know that this is kind of like entering dangerous territory because my wife does not want any sort of exposure to violence. She doesn't even, like, barely likes them playing Mario because she doesn't like them jumping on Goomba's heads. I'm like, just relax. So, but this one is legitimately, you know, it's sword fighting and stuff, and there's undead monsters and yeah. stuff like that. And so I'm like, eh. And so it was Sunday morning, and the kids came down early, and my wife was still sleeping, and I was like, let's play a little Prince of Purge, John. So I fire it up, and they're like, can we watch? And I'm like, yeah. So they start watching, and I'm mainly fighting these, like, fantastical kind of creatures, so it's not bothering me too much. And it's very kind of cartoony in the way that it does it. Well, without spoiling anything, it gets to a point in the plot where somebody who you really trust straight up murders like an innocent person <laughs> that you were like. And I saw the sort like I saw kind of building in the dialogue and I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And then they just shung and it like, like kind of anime style. Like the sword came out, it became the whole screen and it like shined and it froze in time. And I just paused the game and I was like, anybody want some eggs? <laughs> <laughs> like right in the middle of it. And they were like, what, what, what's happening? And I was like, he, it turns out, is a very bad guy. Uh, and I think this is going to be kind of scary. So we're going to stop. We're going to call him. It was like him. in the instant he pulled out the blade to assassinate somebody. I was like, okay, that's enough of that. But yeah, uh, yeah it is not a children's game, I wouldn't say. But man, what a fun game. Well, then try Crash Bandicoot 4. Eight on GameSpot.
eight. So it's legit, dude. That's pretty legit. And it's very kid friendly. Although you do have to, you kill a lot of things. Yeah. It's not like there's blood. I you mean, just, it's a video game. There's, they usually just go flying. They go flying. Yeah. You assume it's assumed death. Prince of Persia is a nine. Not trying to. All just parents. Ten. <laughs> and okay, I do. Okay, since you're right. You're right. <laughs> so I guess by the time people are listening to this, I haven't streamed yet. Uh, and I haven't. But since last week's Baldur's Gate 3 stream, I've put in like 10 hours. Wow. Yeah, I was just like, I went off the deep end. And I was like, I need to complete every mission that I have open. And I just kind of And you, Are you just full-blown uh, wizard? I'm full-blown wizard. But like, I've you didn't got do a, any dip? No, because you've got a four-person party. So I've got a wizard, a rogue, a cleric, and a fighter. fighter? Yeah. yeah. Classic. Yeah. Classic. And I'm fucking two of them. <laughs> <laughs> this is all I hear from people playing Baldur's Gate. It's just the nonstop romance. So much sex. And so much sex. Uh, all right. Let's talk a little uh, Glass Cannon podcast before we move on to listener mail. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, the we, pod. We Are Stupid is going to be light this week. A heavy role-playing episode. Lots of uh, mystery solving. Uh, <laughs> I say mystery solving. Lots of mystery growing. Lots of mystery not solving. Uh, though a really big kind of drop at the end of the episode with the cliffhanger, which was great. Uh, I got a note back from Professor Eric, and I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be honest with you about a couple things here. Okay. Um, one, I'm not a big fan of this episode. I know, and we talked about, this. and you're being ridiculed on I, the internet I, as I should be. Yeah, uh, by all these super fans. Because you like someone to come over with a uh, a little can of baby food and a tiny little spoon and say, "Oh, here's the adventure." <laughs> Do you like peas? That's not 100% true. Actually, I kind of hate that part. Which Here it is, is. Which is, to me, kind of what the Here end of the episode the was like. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, it's not my favorite. It's just not, it's not my favorite. Uh, however, Professor Eric writes in and uh, says, now this is the, well, either a couple weeks in a row or it's two, two out of three weeks, mm-hmm. writes in and says, I don't have any notes. You know, there wasn't much here for rules thing, but uh, I'm really impressed with what Troy is doing with the investigation. Please. His opinion is that uh, obviously we can't really talk about it or go in depth uh, because it's too early in the investigation. But he feels pretty strongly that at a certain point, you really need to share with the nation what you're doing here uh, once it's kind of revealed yeah. because people could really benefit from how you're approaching this. Uh, I don't like getting uh, complimentary emails for you for right. you from strangers. And I haven't read them, so, so it's nice to hear them in your voice. I'm considering no longer working with Professor. <laughs> <laughs> He's out. He's, you're out. Uh, well, that's uh, very kind of him. Yeah, no, he, he really likes it. And he, he thinks that there could be real benefits to how people GM these kind of sections of books. So that will lead me to my first question, which is going to, you're probably going to be a non-answer, yeah. uh, which is, you know, we kind of try to define like as players, we, sometimes we want to meta a little bit, like, well, it got, it gets me curious, right? That comment. It's like, what are you doing here? What, what is happening that is not in the book or is not laid out? And to me, what my guess is, is, 
let's say Thinland's Farms, my guess is it's a paragraph or it's half a page or it's barely anything, gives you a couple names and kind of says what happened there. And you're laying all of this over it. Is this entire kind of like Western town theme just like uh, something you've come up with for how to interpret this place? Or are they literally in the book being like, there's a saloon? Yeah, no, there's, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm always hesitant to say too much on these things, but I do agree that there's, there's, there's like teachable moments here that I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. Now maybe we have to wait for that for a later FOD, but. Yeah, may, maybe and maybe not. Uh, you know, yet again, this is one that Francis and I were working on uh, together. And I just, while we were doing the audio edit, I would just like pause it and explain it like, so this is, I just completely made this up. And, and we would just keep going back and forth. I'm like, see all this right here. This is the moment when I was like, Oh, why don't we just go do this? And like, I didn't have anything planned. You know, I think that I was getting a little complacent as a GM in that period between the end of giant slayer and the beginning of, um, fucking gatewalkers. gatewalkers and strange aeons was a great stopgap for us. Cause it allowed us to delve deeper into that story. But the comp between the complications of converting mid uh, adventure path and like having it be a show that's live sometimes and then streamed other times. I just felt like between that and spreading ourselves too thin, I wasn't doing enough. And so I really wanted to make sure with gatewalkers that I, you know, I kind of like re slapped my nuts on the table as, as a, as, so to speak, as a GM to be reckoned with. And I'd love to say that I'm doing a lot of work behind the scenes to like prepare for these episodes that pop like this, but it's honestly, so much of it is done in the moment while we're recording. And I, but I think that if there's any work that I'm doing in preparation for it, it's just, I'm kind of deciding how to take, if Paizo gives me this, how to take that and, and just make it blossom a little bit more, add some more flavor to what they have there. And then just follow you guys' lead. Um, if you guys are interested in certain things. And so I'm trying to think, I guess I can just be a little bit more literal, you know. How did you interpret this town? Is your interpretation of this town sort of something you brought to it that is not really in the book? I think that as written, this border, there town. are people who run this as, as, as simply as this. Like, all right, so what roll do you guys check. do next? Thinlands Farms? All right, everybody roll your checks. This is what you learn at Thinlands, Thinlands Farms. And that's it. So it could be eight minutes total. Yeah. And in the past, I've definitely run things like that. Certainly in home games, it's like, I don't feel like fucking role playing this whole thing. Um, <laughs> or like worse, like having to prepare this role play. That's worse to me than like actually role playing. Being to think like, all right, who are the people in this town? If I'm only given a couple names, like what are they going to do? And so honestly. What are their motivations? What are their accents? Yeah. What are their children's names? I, I know Abelina Choi. I know that I wanted there to be a saloon. And that was it. And so everything else was just kind of made up in the moment based around what, where I want to lead you guys based on what you're interested in. So when, you know, I kind of want to impress upon you an important thing that like, yeah, people are going missing. Okay. And then, you know, because meeting Malkior, you know, that he's, he's looking for someone, you know, you don't trust Malkior, but there's this theme, like people are going missing. Yeah. So that's something I want to impress upon you. And then you guys ask, well, who has gone missing in this town? And then I'm like, well, there's been two people. And so like, and now you're interested in following up on that. And so it's like, well, let's fly by the seat of my pants and see if I can get them back around to revealing things about the adventure path that aren't explicitly 
discovered by the players. Uh, you know, I think that just years and years of doing this has made that be a lot easier for me to do, but it's something that I'm still building confidence in, you know, take time for chaos. For example, we're, we're, we're recording that now weekly. It's, it's being released and it's a much different beast because I haven't played with that group as long as I played with this group. Mm -hmm. So employing those same methods, I'm not always getting the same results. And it doesn't mean the show is any worse or any better. It's just that like, I sometimes have to, what I'm realizing in doing this season. We have to GM differently. I have to GM differently. And I have to be a little bit more um, leading with it. Whereas with you guys, if there's something you're interested in, I can just make up a character. You'll follow up with it. And there's a bit more like we're playing jazz together. We're not playing jazz together on Time for Chaos. Um, and so I just have to kind of uh, be on lead guitar a little bit more at times. Or like notice someone else is is doing a solo and let them solo. It's just, it's really musical and feeling it out. But uh, I don't know. I, it's always that joke. Like, I wish it's something I could teach. But it's I'm, it's kind of like that. The only other thing I could do is like post-mortem after the fact, really break down moment by moment, like I do for Francis when we're editing these, like what I'm doing in that moment. And when you hear me say this, what I was thinking there, um, because it, there are times while we're doing this episode where I'm sitting there while you guys are improvising and being like, how am I going to make this relevant? How am I going to make this relevant? How am I going to make this relevant? And then so I'll just for it. so just for the listeners, like if you're coming out of the book, what you're saying, I mean, what you're sort of implying here is that there's no uh, there's no Maybelline in the book. There's no birds. There's no maps. There's no, none of this is in the book. Mm-hmm. You're just finding a way to craft a way to get us to where we need to go. Yeah, yeah, I can tell you straight up. If you're, you guys are like, well, I want to speak with the, the, the husband and the kids. Like none of that is in the book. Not only that, I didn't have anything in my notes about it. So it's like all just being done. And that's what I could tell. And that's why I didn't like the episode. (laughs) But at the same time, I, I said it last week. I'm like, I'm making it rain out there because I feel like once you were interested in that, my brain just starts thinking like, right, how do I make this into a relevant story moment? And I know that I want to get you to that to the end where you've discovered the dead bird. Yeah. So halfway through that improv is like, I realize, Oh, birds, birds, they're interested in the kids. The kids are drawing birds and the mother of the birds and then the map and then this and the, that, but it's really, yeah, all and that, that's a perfect tie in and it makes it so much creepier and so much more like impactful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. It's, it's great. And I'd love to get more, uh, details on that as we get closer to the end of the mystery, you know, insofar as this section of the mystery where you could, you know, talk even in more detail, about the stuff you made up, that blow by blow, that director's cut idea. It's, it's kind of fun. It's very hard to do, but it goes back to what I said earlier in the year is like, I'm trying to prep less and play more because I hate, I hate prepping. It, it stresses me out. Um, <laughs> it's less difficult for gatewalkers than it is time for chaos. Like time for chaos is so stressful. For oh yeah. Me. And uh, like, you I mean, getting the trunk is so landscapes. stressful. Yeah. It's so stressful, but it gets to the point where it's stressful to the point of, I don't enjoy it. And that's what I'm trying to get away from because we've all gone through those periods where we just kind of like, whether it's the grind or anything like you don't enjoy it. And then like the audience feels that. And so I don't want to be stressed. I want to enjoy every facet of it. And it's hard. And one of the ways that I'm finding joy in it with gatewalkers is just kind of kind of letting loose and flying by the seat of my pants. And I've been very lucky that this episode and two episodes ago worked, but they could have very easily not worked. 
I didn't think it worked. You didn't think as I've made clear multiple times. No. So the, no, uh, people are loving it. Obviously professor Eric is somebody whose opinion I hold in great value. And he's saying what he's doing with the investigation is great. This is coming from a GM who's running this AP. So, you know, somebody who's looking in the book, seeing what's in the book and is really impressed with what's happening. So that's, that's high praise as far as I'm concerned. And and that's, that's fantastic to let really truly let your players lead like that and kind of just fill in the gaps as you go, uh, tying it back to, you know, something that, that you know is coming, uh, by, by dropping those little hints. I mean, it's fantastic. And I, I think that I, I could be pretty obvious here to say that, like, it's surprising to me that, like, um, what's – I keep forgetting her name. Maybelline. I keep thinking Margaret. That's uh, uh, her mother. That's Abilene's mother is Margaret, right? Margaret, yeah. Maggie uh, May. Margaret. Maggie May and Margaret and Rick. <laughs> Ronald. <laughs> Rick Ronald. Uh, no, that the – you know, that, that Maybelline, uh, her children, Jimmy – the birds, the bird drawings, you know, like all of this is made up, but uh, right out of the book has to be the uh, the hay silos, right? The hay silos are in the book. Straight out of the book. <laughs> See, I mean, I can tell. I can tell. I, what do you tell your hay? You know what's uh, – I'm trying to – We keep grain in boxes. Uh, the <laughs> – fuck, what was I just going to say? So you got like – well, I just think I, in a lot of these Paizo APs, there are sections like this where they're very – they're underdeveloped and they're underdeveloped on purpose because they want you to do as much or, or as, as little, little as you want. As you want. And if you're interested in expanding upon these things, I think it's always more interesting to just kind of throw the players into a social situation. You almost find yourself always in a saloon and just like see what they're interested in. And they might just be interested in like rolling diplomacy to gather information. Then let them do that. But if like – in <laughs> you see that's I'm not saying that that's what I would always do, but that's definitely kind of where I was at. But when you play with uh, Matthew and Kate and Sydney in particular, uh, and sometimes skits skits a lot of times just kind of quiet until he'll latch on to something, but. Matthew and Sydney in particular are just ready to just like drive into nonsense at the first <laughs> opportunity. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the hay silo. We all laugh about it. And Matthew's immediately like, we got to go check out this silo. And he's like, not even kidding. And I'm like, stop. There's no silo in this story. 600 cow. Um, <laughs> 600 cow. You know, yes. also for a show like this, any opportunity I have to role play, I think is best for the show. You know, the stakes are always great in combat, but combat can sometimes drag. Like any opportunity you have to role play, let it happen. And also what I'm really interested in is creating stuff that is wholly our own and not just relying on Paizo's intellectual property for, you know, that's why Brander became such an important important part of Giant Slayer because it was ours. Are you looking for Brander? At I'm all? not I think what it, going before we ever are you recorded chasing Brander. I, we're always chasing Brander. <laughs> I think going into the early prep before we ever recorded an episode, there was a part of me that was like, I wonder, I wonder if and what there'll be a brander type situation here. But what I wasn't interested in having it be, if it ever occurred, I certainly didn't want to pre-plan it. And I didn't want it to be another villain to combat with the BBEG if there was one. You know, I wanted it to just like organically come out of what we do because that's what happened the first time. So I think I was more curious than uh Sort of like looking intentionally looking for it. Like I wonder if we'll have something uh, like that. And Brander's just one example. You know, Brander took on a life of his own. But like there were so many other moments that just came out of our collaborative. Well, story I mean, tale. Sir Will's whole family yeah. and all that stuff. Highbury, you know. One thing I, I we did is like right Della's out Della's whole family, like right out of the gate. I, I told everyone like this is happening in Galarian, but I want your backstory to take place uh, in a in a area that is uh, wholly your own. 
that is not something from the world that Paizo has created. Um, and you see that in you know, your backstory very early on and Matthew's backstory in particular, even skids, I think, um, even though like, I think skids takes place in uh, Arcadia or something like that, but like he renamed it and reskinned his particular town. And you know, that to me is interesting. And maybe that is a little bit of chase and Highbury, but um, I don't know. I like that because you never know what stories are going to come out of that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's, uh, well, you know, we'll continue to talk more as this, uh, mystery unfolds. And I think that that's a good place to start listener mail here because we're going to start off right with a direct question about, uh, this mystery and looking ahead into it. You mean you're done heaping praise? It's time to listen to me. I'm done reading your love letters to you. Gotta get your brain on the phone. It's time to listen to me. You gotta cue that Nicolo, you are a king among men. Thank you for that. All right, let's get into listener mail. This one's going to be from Sean from Ireland. Oh, Sean tip from of the penis to you, Sean. <laughs> Sheepers. Oh, Sean, thank you so much for writing in. Uh, he says, hey, Joe and Troy, I really enjoyed the live pod from the studio. Uh, That's why we're back. Happy you enjoyed it. One thing that struck me as odd was Joe asking Sid if she had any predictions for Malkior's true motives, given how far in advance you record... Uh, and FOD's being recorded right after an episode releases, I found it strange to be speculating about something that must surely be partially revealed in the episodes but not released. My question is, how do you limit yourself to the knowledge you had when recording the episodes you're discussing and not information revealed in subsequent episodes? Do you ever need to edit or re-record parts of the FOD because of accidental spoilers? It's a great question, a great behind-the-scenes questions. Uh, we don't really do that much anymore. Uh, this is not edited uh, and <laughs> yeah, because you just heard Troy's uh, um, uh, hello to Sean, and that, uh, that'll that stay in. No, it's, it is uh, – it is something that I remember happening back in the original days of the FOD when we were doing uh, Glass Cannon Podcast in your apartment. Because a lot of times what we did then was we would do two or three FODs in a day. Yeah. Like in a sitting. We would bang out two or three FODs and they would be like, this is what happened in this episode, this episode. And that got confusing sometimes. And we would end up – saying something like, wait a minute, did that happen in the next week? Ah, God damn it. And we would go back and edit. Dude, I almost just said something when when I was talking about the uh, creating our own hometowns. And then as I'm talking, I'm thinking, I'm like, no, we haven't, we haven't released that episode yet. So like you and I have gotten pretty good at it, but we have had times where like, we'll say something and then we'll be like, hold on. Did that already happen? Yet? Which yeah. Which episode? Then we'll look and be like, "Fuck! All right, we got to cut that." <laughs> yes, it's been a while though. That has happened, but it is very rare. When we have guests on the FOD, which is obviously a, a more rare occurrence, I will go into detail with them pre-show about what the audience does and does not know. Right. So we will go over the the cliffy of this week's episode. Is this most people when you tell them the cliffy? They'll know, like, everything that happened beyond that yeah. uh, is pretty memorable, and they'll know what not to uh, talk about. The reason I brought that question up, uh, to be honest, in this specific case, uh, is because at the time of recording that, we still did not know. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we just didn't know. Like, there's there's things that we didn't know, and I would not put Sydney to a question where she would be, like, blatantly lying. Like, we don't really do that so much. Uh, you know, occasionally we'll hype up, like, are we going to live? Are we going to get through this fight? You know? And we'll know if a character went down or not, you know, ahead of time. Right. But we uh, – generally, I don't put out questions to a guest where they know the uh, answer ahead of time, and they have to pretend they don't. So yeah. uh, I hope that answers your question. Uh, the reason 
reason I asked that is because I we still didn't know. I still didn't know. And I was curious what she thought. And I had my own thoughts. So um, that's why I put that one out. All right. Let's, uh, let's keep moving. This one is from James. Sorry, I don't have a location. Uh, and I'm not going to reveal your last name. He's from hell. Uh, I'll give you a hint so you know that you're the right James. Uh, James, you have a last name. Uh, you would have the last name of a bastard in Westeros. Bam. See that? James Sand? It's a deep cut. James Sand. Uh, Oh, yeah. He he says, hi, Buggles has an ability which can do two very different types of damage, which seems really great. But how how useful is damage versatility really? Especially since you you might trade higher damage for an extra type or two. How often does it really come in handy during your average AP? James is asking, I don't know if you've played a lot of APs, you're just curious about the system and how it all works, but uh, I think it's a great mechanical question that I would love to to geek out on for a second here. <laughs> just give me your initial thoughts, Troy, between uh, the value of having multiple different kinds of damage available to you at X level versus having one kind of damage to you for the, for the whole AP at 2X level. I think the way 2E is built, versatility is way more important. I agree. Than maximizing damage, because I see it all the time in monster stack boxes. I haven't played a lot of 2E, certainly not lately I, uh, as a player, um, but as a, a as a GM, I'm seeing it all the time in stack resistances boxes. Resistances and weakness. Uh, resistance to slashing, but weak to bludgeoning. You know, resistance to fire, weak to cold. It's it's in all of them. I think that's part of the uh, the sort of oomph behind 2e was like adding depth to the monsters by giving them these sort of things because now the way resistances and weaknesses work it's just like you get that flat extra 10 damage you know so so they want you to use that system and so i think versatility is way more valuable whereas in 1e you wanted to nuke the encounter as fast as possible so that the monster wouldn't have a chance to go because if the monster got to go at a high level it was going to kill you most likely and so it didn't really you wanted maximum damage not so in 2e that's my opinion yeah, and I, and I agree with you. I think that ma- uh, capitalizing on these weaknesses really makes up for that extra damage loss that you would be getting from focusing on kind of one type of damage. I feel like versatility is hugely rewarded. And while laying out a lot of damage of one kind can be fun for a while, it can also be really, really frustrating when you come up against the thing that is resistant to that particular form of damage, uh, particularly if you have a party, let's say, that is really built out for physical damage and can really mow through a lot of encounters and then comes up against something incorporeal or yeah. comes up against a swarm and doesn't have magic blastery type of versatility. That can be really, really frustrating. So it's not just about damage type. It's also about having uh, a good balance of ranged versus melee. It's about having a good balance of single target attacks versus AOE attacks among your party. Having uh, ghost touch options and not ghost touch options are really vital to getting through an entire campaign the way that they the way that they build these. So I would say that you know if you go on forums and you look at character build ideas, character build um uh, guides, right? Like you will see a lot of things get flagged as and, and be less prioritized because they are quote situational. Mm. And I do believe that damage versatility of the kind that Buggles represents is situational in nature. How often is Skid actually going to be up against an enemy that is very weak to fire or very weak to cold uh, or vice versa in terms of the resistances? It's it doesn't happen that much. Mm. But when it does happen, 
man, you're glad you have it. It's kind of like that one tool in your box that, you know, you don't need it all the time, but, you know, better to have it and not need it, right, than need it and not have it. So I would say I would I would always, after playing for many, many years, I rely on versatility. If I was playing a fighter, and I, and I do want to play a fighter one of these days. I haven't played like a straight 2E fighter. One of the main things that I would focus on is I would be really excited to have three different weapons on me at all times. Mm. You know, a slashing, a bludgeoning, and a piercing weapon. I would just always have on me because I would love to be able to exploit those kind of weaknesses. Yeah. Um, and maybe not even just fighter. I could even say... You know, I haven't made a backup character for Gatewalkers. I should really lay into a backup character for Gatewalkers. And I've, I've been rethinking it, rethinking it. And I should really consider that Thaumaturge because that's exactly what the Thaumaturge is. It is a fighter who uses Told knowledge. you play a Thaumaturge. I know, I know. But I, I'm really glad I'm playing a cleric. Yeah. Man, we need a cleric. Yeah. This is great playing the cleric. I'm really enjoying it. But it is uh, the Thaumaturge uses knowledge checks to find out the weaknesses of damage types to certain monsters and then can at will change their damage damage type to See, that that's thing. huge it's amazing huge. it's really really fun it's what and makes so, aldo so um important in yes strange aeons the yes. fact that he can like once you discover what the weakness is change a bomb to do that type of damage and that's something i think skid discovered a little late into the, our conversion that like that's what made the alchemist so valuable well let, let us know in the comments here i want to hear uh go to the youtube comments and let us know what you think of damage versatility do you prefer higher single types of damage in general because uh, it, it is more often effective or do you prefer lower damage and versatility spread uh, so that you know for obvious reasons like we discussed so that you can be more versatile which do you tend to, to lean on when you build a character I wonder if people who maybe don't like 2e are people who favor uh, being able to just nuke encounters because you know there's a lot of people like that's what they love about the game doing as much damage as possible and you build a character like that in 2e uh, they're going to have limited like longevity because the encounters are, are built to just present you with puzzles where every encounter is a puzzle. Yeah. There might be a lot of people like, I don't like to eat because they miss being able to just do massive damage. Yeah. Just go in and mash with your barbarian. Yeah. It, it is tricky, especially when you get into like how easily enemies can move away from you. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm finding in 2E is so like, ah, it's frustrating. But to me, I think it, better mimics actual fantastic combat, you know, where people are flitting and, uh, and, and flying all around the battlefield. Uh, you can't just get there, stand there, get your full attack, do 80 or 90 points of damage <laughs> at, at fifth level, you know, in one round and just mow somebody down. It's not really the, the option, an easy option yeah. in 2 So, um, all right, let's do one more here and then we'll, we'll get going from Timmy. Timmy. Uh, Timmy. Sorry. I also don't have your location queued up. I apologize, but this, this one uh, is a listener mail question about, and I love this question. It's about high level character introduction. Mm. Uh, now, you know, this may come mm. uh, to bear in any of our current games right now. Gatewalkers is really the only one that really comes to mind where we're truly kind of lower level. Uh, so, so let's get it out here. For some of your longer running shows, players have had to introduce high level characters. From a backstory perspective, what has worked best for you? I recently had to make a 2E level 10 character for my group, and it feels like I'm writing a novel's worth of backstory to make up for 10 levels of adventure. Oh, it's it's Timmy from the Dragon Punch Squad. Well, thank you, Timmy, for writing in. Appreciate you. 
Uh, well, we all, I think, uh, you know, those of you that listen to Giant Slayer know my particular favorite, which was Dogrith Deathbringer. Mm-hmm. That was my favorite that I came up with on a whim at the time because I was sick and tired of making high-level characters to bring into campaigns. And I said, you know what? Famous Monster Hunter. I think that that's a really easy one kind of elevator pitch line. We were actually talking about this earlier in a marketing meeting. It's like you have to be able to distill down what you want to say quickly in so many different areas of life. It's important to explain quickly uh, who you are, what you do, that kind of thing. And in this case with Dogrith, man, that is it. You know, famous Monster Hunter. And it's it starts to just write itself. I barely wrote any backstory for him. My whole idea for him was as we fought things, I'd be like, oh, I fought that one when I was back working for the queen of whatever kingdom. You know, like these grand, crazy, tall tales that could come uh, with this character. Because I, like Skid, Skid and I really appreciate the story of a 10th level character. Like we really appreciate that 10th level characters are extremely rare in the world. And if you were a 15th level character, I think Dogrith was like 12 when he came in, maybe you would probably be nationally famous, if not globally famous. Mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, Writing every combat, every story they have, no, you don't have to do. But picking out sort of maybe what made them famous, one little hook uh, is a great way to just get off and running. And then you still got to get in there and play the game to find out who they are. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's always fun for me. I, I'm never like uh, – I never couch at the challenge of bringing in a new PC. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, like how, how can I do this in a way that makes – you know, story sense. Yeah. And I mean, the craziest is end, end game Giant Slayer when you're like – on a floating castle in the sky. It's like, how are we going to do this? And I loved every single thing uh, we came up with. And so, I mean, yeah, I think there were a lot of people, there might be people that didn't even like uh, the way Asta uh, came in, but to me, it just made total sense that there Very were cool. gatewalkers in the world that Did people comment that they know. didn't like the way she came in? I, I imagine some people did. I'm just always imagining there's, there's I didn't some see any contrarian that. opinions, but uh, to me, it just made total sense. There's some gatewalkers in the world that don't know there's a consortium of epops. Yeah. Um, but I could very well, like for the next death, and there will be one, uh, to like have someone be a part of Professor Riddleson's uh, group. And so that's something I want to explore as well, because what I really like what happened in episode 100 of Giant Slayer, once we decided like, all right, this I've got an idea. Um, come up with some backup uh, characters. I want to do something. That sort of set in motion an idea where we could build these stories of other characters who could seamlessly fit into the adventure because they were already a part of the if adventure. and when they're needed. Yeah. So that's something that again, I don't want to. I don't want to chase Brander. I don't want to chase Highbury. I don't want to try and just repeat these moments. But that's a technique that I really enjoy. That might be something. Spoiler alert. That I kind of dabble with in a future uh, episode of the game. Episode of the game. Yeah. I love having that. I I love the idea of just having two characters. Yeah. Even if one isn't your main, you got your alt who's ready to go. Well, let me throw out some ideas to you. Um, You know, what has worked best for you? I I told you what worked best in my particular case was famous, famous monster hunter, I think is a very fun one, because then you're always kind of you have the motivation to to go go in there and fight any of these big monsters that are coming up against you, uh, just for the renown of it, right. But let's talk about a couple other quick ideas. One is, uh, we've done this before in a home game kind of, uh, and Strange Islands is based around a great one is amnesia. 
Amnesia is a great one mm-hmm. because these adventurers get themselves into horribly dangerous situations. And let's say they come up against a monster that shreds your mind, right? This could be, you know, someone is knocked, uh, their, their memory, their backstory is, is, is a mystery to them, but they have so many powerful abilities. It's the Jason Bourne character intro, right? right? Where you, as you play, you begin to uncover what happened. We had a character like this, uh, in one of our home games who was, was high level, uh, but we brought them in at first level. There's a long story as to why this happened. And, and this was not played by one person. It was played by multiple people for this reason, because each person that kind of played the character filled in a little bit of their backstory, but with these memories and flashes that would come. Well, they had multiple, not multiple personalities. Yes. Did they? Yes. They yeah. had multiple personalities because it was somebody that we, we would, guests would play and stuff like that. And we only could, had three play, people to play. It was right. like me and three players. And, but we wanted a four person party. So we just created this like swing character that you guys could take turns playing when we didn't have someone play it, but then other people could step in and not just say, all right, here's who you're playing. You're playing a very wise elf. You're playing someone with has multiple personality disorder. So who are they today? Right. And it was kind of fun. We probably had a half a dozen people. It was come really in and fun. And it was it. a very, very like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just a very uh, powerful seeming, uh, just, it was an elf. That it's this seemed like a, a very powerful character creature, right? And you didn't know what their past was. And occasionally, you as GM, this was really kind of the early forge where Gatewalkers was or uh, or Giant Slayers started to get built. Is you would occasionally like surprise us with like a vision or a backstory of some crazy shit happening to this guy. And we'd be like, wait, what, what country is this even in? Or what monster is he even facing? Yeah. You know, and it would, it was all these little cool tidbits you put in. So anyway, that is a, that is a fun way to do it. Um, another one is remember like high level does not necessarily mean long experience, right? Even though it technically we say experience points, look at Lork, right? Lork comes into Giant Slayer at first level, but he has a ton of experience. The, the, the conceit for that character is he was once seventh level, but has lost his mojo after years and years and years of work. And the same thing. Once a great wizard. Lost. Exactly. And then loss comes back down to wherever he came in at eighth level, ninth level, whatever that was. So that, so that can work in reverse. You can spin that the other way. You can be a 10th level character who's like a superhero, right? Yeah. Was imbued with their powers in one instant by some idol that they touched or some moment they came across something and they have all these incredible powers and they can't really explain it. That's a great background for a, a sorcerer, right? Or, or, a, or a cleric or a paladin even. Um, sometimes martial skill is a little harder to wrap your head around having just be, you know, just being endowed to you. Um, but then there, you know, I've, we've also dabbled in come from the future. I mean, that's kind of a fun one too, right? Like you're sent back and you have all this stuff implanted in your mind matrix style. Uh, so you don't need to write a long backstory, but you can have all those abilities and you can fill in the character as you play. Because I think the worst possible thing is to sit down and write 10 page, ten pages of every level of this <laughs> hero's adventure that they went through so far. Yeah. Uh, to me, that sounds like a nightmare and uh, not not very fun. But if that's fun for you, uh, that's that's great. It's just not fun for me. I like to discover them as I play. Yeah. When I create a character, I want one sentence that describes them. And figure out the rest in play. Yeah, figure out the rest as you go. And sometimes that just makes the best, most memorable characters uh, we find. So, yep. uh, all right, that's going to wrap it up for us today, guys. Thank you so Boom. much for writing in with the questions. Glad we got a little bit of a chunk. Of, oh, man, wrong thing. Way to go. God, every single Amateur time. Hour. I tried to set it up, and I was like, I got it this time. I'm not going to screw it up. There she goes. Hey! You know, I think that was CJ that did that. CJ! Wow. God damn it. <laughs> 
blaming poor CJ. Thank you to CJ for producing today, and thank you to Francis for producing today. We appreciate you guys so much. Uh, we are very, very excited for our upcoming shows and our streams and our finale of Deadlands. Lots going on. So come hang out. Check, check us out on Twitch and on YouTube. Tomorrow night, Gatewalkers continues. Uh, we'll see you next week on the FOD. Bye, guys. Toronto. Sold out! Oh, that's right, big news! Sold out! Sold out! We just got word right before oh, the finish line! Oh, Canada, my homeland native. Thanks for listening to the Glass Cannon Network. For more podcasts and live streams, visit glasscannonnetwork.com. And for exclusive shows and content you can't find anywhere else, subscribe today at jointhenation.com. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now.